0: Ramble. Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Welcome back to the Curious Podcast with me, Josh Peck, and you, the listener, and that's what you do. You listen. And that's a beautiful symbiotic relationship that we're in that couldn't exist if we both didn't play our part. So look at us, suiting up and fucking showing up. Because otherwise, it would just be me, alone, talking to myself. And look, the reality is... I'm an only child, so I'm good at talking to myself. I'm a great audience, but it gets creepy and weird. And now in my adulthood, I I understand that it's it's not as acceptable as it once was. I'm not a precocious, slightly lonely fatherless kid sitting in his room creating worlds. I'm now the father who is 32 and maybe shouldn't be talking to himself. So it's a reality that I live with and that I make a peace with every day. Um, I was listening to Kevin Hart on Joe Rogan's podcast, and I've actually worked with Kevin, no big deal, you know, superstar global, superstar Kevin Hart. And he, he couldn't have been nicer and and what a super generous dude and like crazy talented. It's not fair, but <laughs> I was listening to uh him on Joe Rogan's podcast. I don't, I don't know how you guys are because like I, I, I'm a podcast nut and I really love the idea of that. With most things that I listen to, I feel as though I'm learning. So I, I try to listen to like icons and people who are, you know, doing things in business or science or medicine or and showbiz or what have you. And so, like, listening to someone like Kevin is the perfect sort of setup for someone like me. And yet, I do wrestle with this part of me that is just so painfully jealous of like, fuck, man, you are succeeding on such a high level that it makes me feel so inferior. And I know this is a creation that my mind just wants to make up because, oh, you have a, you know, you're you're so successful, you've done so much, you've got money in the bank and healthcare and a family, blah, 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 blah. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. (laughs) God, that's not, yeah. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? It's like, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but I imagine because I'm a human and you're a human, we might share some common feelings that. um. Yeah, it's hard, you know? I, I remember I did this movie with Chris Hemsworth, another name drop, no big deal. It's all right, guys, don't worry, I haven't worked in it in, in over a year and a half. Um, <laughs> so the scales have evened themselves, so forgive my douchebaggery. Um, but I remember working with Chris Hemsworth before he did Thor, like the movie bef- before Thor. And Chris and I got on. I mean, we were thick as thieves. We would spend so much time working out and having dinner and just broing down the, we really found, I mean, we were kindred spirits, this 6'4 Adonis Australian really loved this former 300 pound New Yorker Jew. And yet, and this is my fault, by the way, allow me to qualify that. And yet, like, I remember couple months after the movie finishes you know filming we're still friends we're still keeping up and i'm like wow we this was not just a camp friend scenario we are gonna stay close and then you know the thor of it all and everything it just and this is all on me baby he it like it was too much for my ego to handle he was too successful and famous that i just couldn't like and obviously, you know, things get busy, all of a sudden you're famous, you're traveling, you know, it's exciting, big, exciting life. Here I am, you know, in North Hollywood, California, uh, preparing for my eight-line audition for fucking CSI Tulsa. But you know what? It was just like, it was It was hard. It was hard to be around that level of stardom and like super success and such sort of like this rocket ship up. Um and it's interesting. And now like we have kids and whatever, like I'm sure, uh, you know, I've done enough work on myself where I think it would be not an issue at all. Like, and and I was super, oh, man, I'm really digging myself into a hole here. I was super happy for him back then too. It was just like, I had this like little 24 year old, 23 year old fragile ego that like, just felt so bad about myself that I was so inferior and not crushing it in comparison. And I don't mean to presume because you're all beautiful, unique snowflakes. But i that's got to be a universal feeling. I think, well, you know what they say, compare and despair. Am I right? But my life is so full today and, and I feel really lucky. And yet, like when you listen to someone like Kevin Hart, who's so fucking impressive on Joe Rogan, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? And I'm sure that's universal. I'm sure you're like, whatever you do, You're a, you know, a paralegal or a a dental hygienist at a a pretty successful, you know, dentist practice in Omaha. (laughs) And uh, Jenny, the other dental hygienist, she's, you know, she's crushing it. She's doing much better than you. And you're like, you know, Jennifer knocks out five mouths a day and I'm only at three. And my paycheck reflects that. I got to get on Jenny's level. I don't know what she's doing. She must be missing some plaque. Anyway, Jenny. I was recently in Des Moines, Iowa, speaking at Iowa State University, which was um, fun. And (laughs) this kid I was talking to said the most Midwest shit I'd I'd ever heard. He was such a sweetheart. And he was like, "Uh, you know, like when you go up on stage, because I always kind of ask about like, you know, I, I just try to learn a little bit about the college before from the students cuz I want to be like educated about it and um and and be informed when I'm on stage and 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 he was like yeah like we're we're very proud and and you know we've got like a strong agriculture community in Iowa and especially at the university and um and you know like if you want to you can like make fun of nebraska a little we all kind of poke fun and i said well why and he was like well you know like i don't know because their soil is bullshit like just like lacks nutrients and i was like that's the most midwest shit i've ever heard like (laughs) i don't like nebraska because their soil is bullshit (laughs) like that's amazing i was very impressed um but yeah man good for kevin hart i'm proud Proud of you, Kev. You're crushing it. But it, it is. It's the lies that we tell ourselves to keep ourselves unhappy, right? Because the truth is, if we all attain that level of success, if there's like some deep down, like, uh, what's the word? Um, like inherent coding in ourselves that make us feel inferior or not enough, there's a good chance that nothing of the outside world will satisfy that uh, discrepancy in our makeup because money can't buy happiness. But I'd love to learn that firsthand. Um, today's show, Ben Greenfield, health and wellness expert, author, just brilliant guy. He's been on Joe Rogan so many times, has his own podcast, which I'm a huge fan of. And I, I felt so lucky. And and since then, we've become friendly. We have stayed in touch. And let me let me tell you guys something. I've had Yeah, I'm a little bit ahead, so I probably had like 65 guests on the pod thus far. And this does not happen a lot. You don't know, you know, you have a great two hours together, and then it's kind of like goodbye forever. And I've reached out to a couple people after and been like, hey, that was great. If you're uh, you're in LA, give me a little ring-a-ding-ding, and it's fallen on deaf ears. I'm over it. Uh, but Ben and I have since grabbed dinner, uh, we've traded some texts, he's a lovely dude, and uh, just a, an incredibly brilliant and, and useful resource for all your health and wellness and physical needs, and, and, uh, and I, I just had a great time talking to him. So everyone, enjoy Ben Greenfield.
1: killed off for their honey, I don't know.
0: What's it called? What what are their habitats called? It's not actuary. It's Hives. something air er- but it's a- aviary. aviary aviary yeah that, that's a habitat right
1: yeah ish yeah
0: I know I things so. kind of
1: yeah like yeah, I think I think aviary is the general collective term given to uh, all of the little boxes where the bees are kept right yeah
0: but there's got to yeah. be mass bee ha- sort of there is, harvesting there,
1: there's something I want to try though it's called have you heard of bee bread before no I've never had it but apparently like in the in the little dark corners of these these squares where they keep the bees you hear about in all seriousness that stuff we were talking about, like royal jelly and the propolis for the immune system, and the, the pollen, which is like the the superfood, and and the honey. Apparently, it all just kind of collects in these bricks in the corner of the hive, mm. and it's like a bread-like texture, and you can eat bee bread. That's cool. But wow, I, that's not something I've experienced before, but it's on my bucket list to eat bee bread. That it sounds- just it sounds like it would be really good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Are, are yeah. we recording? Okay, perfect. Um, I, I definitely want to mess with some bee bread. Have you ever seen when a new queen is – they try to introduce a new queen into the hive and sometimes they reject the queen and murder it? No. Yeah, this happens.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah, it's like Why? south central Now in the I beehive. don't feel
1: so guilty then about, about eating bee stuff. Yeah, right? If they're, if they're that savage and barbaric that they would eat their own queen.
0: I don't know. Yeah. Be- I'm sure okay. I'm Sure, there are a couple dickheads. dickhead us let's, let's
1: crush them and eat their shit. Yeah, forget yeah. about yeah, it. Yeah, if they're that mean, <laughs>
0: then do it. Ben, I, I have to tell you, you wouldn't know this, but you have been in my life for years because no I've been way. listening to you on Rogan, on your pod. I'm a fan. Cool. I can't believe this is happening.
1: Well, that's awesome.
0: I'm in awe well, of you and people like you, even though there's no one like you. Oh, thank you. But Thank like, you for making me a unique
1: special snowflake.
0: Such yeah. a commitment. Yeah. I can yeah. you just break down will you just tell me what you've ingested so far today? Today?
1: Yes. Uh LSD, psilocybin, MDMA, ketamine. To Solid. kind of balance things out. Because you want you want the you want the uppers, but then you also want kind of like the antidepressant type of no. Um <laughs> I've had, uh, what did I have today? Oh, well, I'm staying at the London West okay. where they have a breakfast. So I had, I don't usually have this, but I had the smoked salmon with the capers on tomatoes. I don't eat any carbs until the very end of the day. No carbs. Why? Then at the very end of the day. Well, a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, are we recording by the way? Okay, because I was going to say this, this, could be, this could be good for people to know. Um, when, when you save your carbohydrates for the end of the day, we know that carbohydrates cause a serotonin release, right? So you get this this nice sleepy neurotransmitter circulating through your system when you go to bed, you sleep better. That's the problem with a lot of people who do like the ketosis or the fasting thing mm. is they'll have whatever, butter and MCT oil and a little bit of ribeye and I don't know what else. A, a, Half a, a s- bucket a of Steaming hot cream. pile of coconut oil <laughs> sure. for, for dinner, which just sounds disgusting. Uh, they don't sleep well because you don't get a lot of that serotonin release from a meal like that and the other issue is if you work out like i do you've got very little what are called glycogen stores carbohydrate stores available for the next day's workout now what i prefer to do is i wait until the very or or close to the end of the day to do my hardest workout of the day because when you wait until like the later afternoon or the early evening to lift weights or to do let's say like some high intensity interval training routine at that point in the day is when your testosterone peaks when your grip strength peaks when your reaction time peaks so Rolling out of bed and and you know digging the, the the eye crusts out of the corner of your eye and you know blearily trudging into a, a CrossFit box to do a hard workout that actually flies in the face of normal human physiology. Like like a great morning routine is you go for a walk in the sunshine, right? Or, yeah. Or, or maybe go for a swim or do a yoga session. Or I like to go sit in the sauna. Like that's my favorite thing to do in the morning. Is I just go sit in the sauna for what? like thirty minutes. Barrel and,
0: sauna infrared. What are we working uh, I,
1: with? I've got I've got an infrared. Oh yeah yeah one of those infrareds you could you could. Get into and you know, I'll do down dog and my own bastardized version of of yoga because I'm not a yogi but I just I've taken yoga classes and I like to just make make stuff up in the sauna okay so I do these moves in the sauna but then at the end of the day when you do that hard workout what happens is your body becomes very sensitive to insulin and very much able to take all those carbohydrates that you have with dinner and and do what's called partitioning. It partitions them into muscle tissue and into liver tissue rather than what the body would normally do, which would be to convert carbohydrates or excess carbohydrates into fats, so they get stored in your waistline. So it's a cool scenario. You do whatever hard workout you're going to do between, let's say, like 4 and 6 p.m., and then I'll usually have dinner at like 7 or 8 p.m., and dinner is just like whatever, bring it on, you know, tubers and sweet potatoes and gams. And, you know, last night I was at the the AOC steakhouse and we had like, you know, potatoes and, and carrots and yeah. beets and Hard red body wine karate. And, and dark chocolate. Like I, I don't eat, uh, you know, Domino's pizza and chicken wings for my carbs. Like I, I like to have just more of the good stuff, but you sleep like a baby, you burn fat, all day long because you're not eating carbs you know when you eat carbs just during the day your body has to burn those it prefers glucose before and it can tap into its own fats
0: why is that sort of the old thinking is like get those carbs in early and then cut it right. by
1: noon right exactly well that that's what I used to preach when I was like a, when, when I was a personal trainer and I'd, I'd work with clients I'd say you got a snack you got a graze six I'd, meals I'd show up to work with my apple and my my Ziploc bag of almonds Cute. and my yogurt and, and the 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 broccoli and chicken of course like you got to do like the tasteless chicken sure. with the broccoli is like as, as you can find exactly <laughs> and, and you you know and and my two protein bars and my protein shake and and my mini carrots right so you could snack every hour or two to, to quote, keep your metabolism elevated. If
0: that's life, I don't want to live that life, man. Well, it's
1: exhausting. (laughs) And and research has shown that there's no metabolic benefit once you you exceed three meals per day, meaning that it, it doesn't do anything to keep your metabolism elevated. And in fact with all the data now that we know about things like fasting, like intermittent fasting and what are called compressed feeding windows where you have like these certain calorically restricted feeding windows, mm. you actually are, are getting rid of a lot of those benefits of going for certain periods of time, giving your gut a break, allowing your cells to clean up. So the idea is snacking and grazing is a, is a myth in terms of the health of it. And when it comes to carbohydrates, this whole idea of like have your, Whatever your your overnight oats or your your gluten free French toast or you know whatever people are getting you know thinking they're being healthy in the morning you know the scone and biscotti at your favorite coffee shop it just rips you right out of your fat burning mode Rip, you know everybody should have the ability I, I realize ketosis is like a it's it's a it's kind of a popular catchphrase these days very. but the fact is every, everybody when they're born is a baby and you know they're they're breastfeeding breast milk is very high in ketones and and medium chain triglycerides and and everybody has the ability to be able to burn ketones and burn their own fatty acids as a fuel, but once you start your day off with with Wheaties, Lucky you, Charms, yeah, you completely completely get rid of that entire mechanism. And, and you know, this, this is coming from a guy who used to have peanut butter Captain Crunch every morning for breakfast. Don't you know? sleep
0: on that; it's still oh. great, Ben. No,
1: and the, the milk tastes fantastic. That's, the, that's the best part. <laughs> but how did these? It's, it's, it's well worth the itchy mouth, you know, the itchy roof of the oh, mouth. Yeah, you're well finished. Worth it. Yeah.
0: What, how do these myths get propagated? Like something to that effect, or that saturated fat is bad for you, or all these things mm. that we're sort of finding out now aren't—it's not necessarily the case.
1: Well. Uh- Look, probably the biggest part of it is any research, whatever food science or political science or anthropology or anything. It's all based on these these parabolic curves, right? Where a certain subset of the population falls into the the majority of the people for whom that might be good, or for whom that might produce that effect. And then you have you know decreasing number of people on either side of that peak of the curve. But the fact is, if if you're just going with that data and not customizing or personalizing your diet or your supplementation program or or your exercise to you then all you're doing is doing something that maybe sorta kind of worked for the general population but is not customized to you your ancestry your genetics and so for us to say uh, you know let's use like the ketogenic diet as an example again maybe it helped your neighbor lose 20 pounds and, you know, or maybe they're doing the carnivore diet and eating a ribeye steak for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whatever, that might actually work for them. There might even be robust nutritional science saying that this is good for the population, but maybe you fall into that small subset of the population who's outside of that curve. Maybe you have familial hypercholesteremia dictating that your response to a high fat diet would be to store a bunch of cholesterols. I have that. Or, okay, so so there you go. Or maybe you have the, the, the you know, there, there's a gene called the ApoE genes you could test for with 23andMe that dictates that you would have a high inflammatory response to a high intake of saturated fats. Mm. Uh, there, there, there are people who have gallbladder and liver issues Issues where they aren't producing a lot of bile, so they they try this high fat diet, and they wind up with basically just like you know greasy shit in the toilet bowl. And, yeah, you know, right. there's all sorts of things that dictate you know. So in this case, you know. Your, your family and your genetics, your your gene markers, your your gallbladder, your liver. So this diet might not be perfect for you. And yet you might see the headlines that say, high fat diet, low carb diet, proven to whatever. Yeah. Decrease your risk of mortality or Make you your,
0: more popular on Instagram. Yeah,
1: yeah, or especially <laughs> make you more popular on Instagram. Oh, especially God. if you combine that with calf implants or, or shameless sure. ass photos.
0: By yeah. the way, I did 23andMe. You wanna know the results? I thought you were
1: gonna say you did calf implants.
0: Well, that that I'm considering, okay. but 23 yeah. of me was less of a commitment, and the result came back two months later, Jew.
1: So to tell you you're a Jew with like, like a, a high uh, probability that you have blue eyes— Yes. Like it, yeah. So so it's 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 amazing. A, uh, an expensive <laughs> laboratory test can tell you your eye color.
0: What the shit? Uh, it was like 99.2% Jew. I'm like, what? Right. Like, I didn't have like one black, like third yeah. uncle or yeah. like a Filipino cousin. Yeah. You're, you're screwed when it
1: comes to college scholarships, day, anything. <laughs> yeah, white yeah. person. Yeah. yeah yes. Give me at least 10% Native American so I can get a full ride. Please. Yeah. Um, the, the idea, though, is that that testing can be – Beneficial, so you you know you get like a 23andMe test. Well, you know, all joking aside, one thing that you do have with that test is there's a little. I think it's like a button on the upper right hand corner is you could download your raw data. You can mm. download your raw data, and you, got, you can actually find some pretty useful things like. Uh, your your uh, genetic, uh, let, let's use myself as an example, right? I have two things I found out. I have a higher than normal risk for type 2 diabetes, and I have a higher than normal risk for prostate cancer. So knowing that, armed with that data, I'm not doomed to, you know, be on an insulin pump and, and you know, get prostate cancer. I can make simple lifestyle choices, you know, with, with my salmon at the London West this morning. I had some nice fresh tomatoes, chock full of lycopene. And I actually go out of my way to include things like that mm-hmm. in my diet to lower my risk for prostate cancer because I have a higher than normal risk for that type 2 diabetes. That initially is what influenced my desire to look into how can I stabilize my blood glucose levels during the day? How can I stabilize my blood sugar? How could I save my carbohydrates for the end of the day, eat healthy fats the rest of the day, and then be able to lower that risk? And if you want to make things even, even slightly more complex, you know, just talking about the fact that I eat mostly fats and proteins and not a lot of carbs, a lot of people, you know, might wonder, well, you you know, what about this whole idea that I just talked about, about potentially a high-fat diet not being good for you? Well, it turns out I actually have that gene that makes me have an inflammatory response to saturated fats. I mean, if I do a lot of coconut oil and a lot of butter and I decide the way that I'm going to do my high-fat, low-carb diet is with those type of, of trendy methods to do a high-fat, low-carb diet, which is, you know, such as like fatty streaks of meat, coconut oil, butter, yada, yada, yada. Yeah,
0: bulletproof coffee. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. But because of my gene, specifically what I'm referring to is a gene called the the ApoE34 gene. They all have names like Star Wars robots. Yeah. The, the Apo E34. Yeah, that means that I should not eat more than about ten percent of my total dietary intake from saturated fats. So so yeah, I eat a high fat diet, but my high fat diet is more like the Mediterranean approach, right? Like I drown my vegetables in extra virgin olive oil, and I do lots of walnuts and other seeds and nuts, you know, flaxseed powder and chia seeds slurries, and I do uh, you know avocados. Olives, you know, a lot of these t- more traditional Mediterranean fats rather than just like, you know, chugging you know, caprylic acid out of, out of a bottle from, you know, from some trendy supplements website. So.
0: But the poisons in the dose in the respect of like, I think Bill Nye had a quote saying something to the effect of like, yes, an avocado is healthy fat if you have one, but if you ply yourself with like a bowl of guacamole, like for better or for worse, it's a huge influx of
1: calories. Right. Milk is a perfect example. Like like raw milk and raw dairy. It's actually pretty good for you, right? There's some cool growth factors in there. And, you know, like there's even, there's even this, this thing called colostrum that can help seal up the lining of a leaky gut. And you know, th- there's a lot of benefits to raw dairy. It's good for the immune system, but dairy was designed to make small baby mammals turn into really big fat mammals. Mm. Right. And so you could you could take that to the nth degree and have have a, a platter of a of a nice hard European artisanal cheese that makes you feel good about yourself with dinner and your big, you know, cup of, of raw kefir or you know, Greek yogurt or whatever with lunch, and all of a sudden that dairy that's good for you in small amounts and gives you calcium and, and some fat-soluble vitamins. You know, all of a sudden you you've gained ten pounds before you know it, and, and turns on and, you. And and that's why. So yeah, more is not better. And th- the other thing, though, coming back to to the ancestral testing and something like twenty three and Me, is what I find fascinating is. You can, of course, identify your risk factors, like I mentioned, like type 2 diabetes and prostate cancer, and make make targeted dietary or supplement changes based on that. Uh, and, and there are even websites. Uh, there's there's one website like 23 anducom that allows you to actually go and take that raw data and just dive even deeper, like find out things like, do I produce a bunch of histamine in response to alcohol? Therefore... A uh, glass of wine makes me feel crappy, not because of the ethanol and not because of say like the sulfites, but I tend to produce a lot of histamine in response mm. to that. Therefore, you know, I could take a histamine blocker before I drink and all of a sudden I feel fantastic. I'm so.
0: allergic to alcohol.
1: Oh gee, what aren't you allergic to?
0: I break Jeez. out in handcuffs. Hey wow. I'll be here yeah. all night. Thank you.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just because I'm a drunk, but you know, yeah. ten years yeah. sober, well, knock you, on wood.
1: Um, Anyways, though, <laughs> what's cool though is even even if you don't want to dig into the raw and stuff, like you, you talked about, um, you know, finding out you were you were a Jew, like like yeah. like ninety nine percent or whatever. Well, you you can go and look at what your ancestors traditionally ate, because in many cases, what we find is that populations around the world have figured out how to eat diets that reduce their susceptibility to certain diseases based on their built in genetic risk factors. Now, there's even a book that kind of dives into this to a certain extent called uh, The Jungle Effect by Dr. Daphne Miller. I interviewed her on my podcast a a couple of years ago. Fascinating research. And what she gets into is, for example, folks in, in Iceland, they carry the gene that puts them at increased susceptibility to having depression, but they don't get as high an incidence of depression as you would expect because they're consuming a lot of omega-3 fatty acids from fish oil and marine products, which decrease your risk of seasonal affective disorder and depression or or depression. You take that same population and you shift them into like a Western diet. Maybe they aren't getting a lot of fish oil. Maybe they're just eating a typical starchy, you know, whatever, California diet or or whatever. And all of a sudden they start to get depression and seasonal affective disorder because they have those same genetic susceptibilities and risk factors, but in the absence of their ancestral diet, all of a sudden those factors aren't controlled for. You could say the same thing for like the Taramahar Indian tribe, Right, they carry the gene, kind of like me, that puts them at increased susceptibility to getting diabetes. Now, if you look at a traditional Mexican diet that they're eating, they're doing a lot of legumes, a lot of low glycemic index carbohydrates. Uh, even even the corn is, you know, it, it's it's processed in such a way that it's not as stripped of nutrients and minerals and fibers mm. as we get in the U.S. And therefore, their blood sugar response to that ancestral diet is lower, and they're not getting diabetes in the context of their traditional diet. But as soon as you take an indigenous uh, Hispanic or Mexican tribe like that, and you shift them into like a typical Westernized diet scenario, or even a typical Westernized, you know, Mexican diet scenario, right? like refried beans and corn chips so good. and margaritas with the oh. high fructose corn syrup mix. And, Stop talking dirty and, to me. And, and, and they start getting, they start getting diabetes. Right. So, you know, you know we can say the same thing about like the West Africans in Cameroon, they get a ton of fiber, you shift them into whatever, the, the deep South of America and all of a sudden, you see a huge increase risk of or increased incidence of colon cancer in that population on a westernized diet because they have a high genetic risk for colon cancer, but they don't. Get it back in their their homeland or their traditional environment because of all the plants and fibers that they're getting. So it's it's fascinating how you can you can take that data. So you, you could in your case, right? So being ninety nine percent Jew, you could say, well, geez, what were they? Eating? Well, Mediterranean diet, right? Like a Mediterranean diet with lots of olive oil and you know goat and sheep cheese and what else do they have over there? I'm, I'm thinking of my last the the, the olives. The, yeah, the Israeli Chamber of Cornish. Commerce used to think I was a Jew because my name's Ben. Benjamin Greenfield. So they'd bring me over there to do like nutrition stories and fitness stories. That's a great hack. Try, yeah, I know. It's I like that. <laughs> change your name and, and go to different countries. I'm <laughs> going to change my name to Vladimir next and try to get into Russia and do some <laughs> stories over there. But ultimately, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a very traditional Mediterranean diet. So so you could say, even in the absence of anything else, let's say you wanted to super simplify You're like, hey, I'm a Jew. What did Jews eat for thousands of years? It's going to be a, a Mediterranean diet. Although, uh, the Mediterranean diet, I think, is placed in the wrong context nowadays. Like we see that the Mediterranean diet is heart healthy and so people go out and just eat boatloads of, you know, as you say, avocados and olives and just drown every meal in olive oil right. and do tons of like the fatty fish and the omega threes. But when you look at a traditional, almost like 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 an orthodox Mediterranean diet, it's heavily influenced by religion. Right. Like there are periods of time where they aren't eating meat. There are full periods of time where they're not fasting. Like my dad follows the Eastern Orthodox religion and, you know, like the day after Thanksgiving, he was like, yep, I'm not eating any any meat till Christmas. I was like, oh, that's the Mediterranean diet. And he's got, you know, Wednesdays and Fridays, you don't have olive oil. And so when you introduce these variables, there's there's a lot more than just the – Commission, like what foods they are eating in a lot of these ancestral contexts, but also omission, right? Like when are they fasting? You know, when are they doing like meatless Mondays? So, So, there's a lot more to it than just you know the staple food groups.
0: Well, you think about like I always think of where where kosher came from in the Jewish dietary. Sort of habits, and and I would imagine, and of course, it came down from uh, from the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. God forbid, I, I, I have any blasphemous statements on my podcast, but I think also it was pragmatic in the sense that, like, here we are, these these desert dwelling people. And I would imagine that Moisha found a clam in the middle of the desert and died because he ate it. And mm-hmm. then all the elders got together and they were like, Moisha ate this fucking shellfish that he randomly found. We yeah. gotta tell everyone this shellfish is bad for us. Like we can't eat the shellfish or that we we're not gonna eat pigs because it's really hard to clean and get the right amount of right, you know, exactly. healthy
1: meat. In, in that context and 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 uh, I, I think what you're looking at from that standpoint is they discover there are certain foods that, that are poisonous if treated improperly, or that at least increase your your your, your risk. For getting sick after right. eating them, so it makes sense, especially in an ancestral context where we don't have a lot of the, the modern food cleanliness that we're able to. You know, we 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 can screen pork now, and we can ensure we're not getting trichinosis and all that jazz. But if sure. you didn't have that type of capability back in the day, then yeah, it's it's safer to just say, well, I'm not going to eat pig. I'm going to avoid lobsters and crabs and clams and everything and else. Shellfish I might get sick. isn't really yeah. super healthy, right? For the most part, shellfish. When you look at the nutrient density scale of foods, a lot of people think like kale and blueberries are at the top. Mm. You know they're not. You know, liver is at the very top of the totem pole. You know people think, oh, liver that that that's a detoxifying organ for the body. It must be chock full of toxins. The liver removes all the toxins and they go out through your sweat through your stool through your urine you aren't eating toxins when you eat liver it's it's very very good for you um shellfish if if they're coming from clean water They also are extremely high in minerals, extremely high in nutrients. Clams, like you brought up, uh, clams are way higher in zinc than just about any food on the face of the planet, which especially for guys who want to optimize testosterone or libido, zinc is incredibly important. And so shellfish are very nutrient dense. The issue is you have to consider where the shellfish came from. I mean, you could say the same thing about cows, right? Like you get a grain-fed cow, uh, you know, shot up full of hormones and full of omega-6 fatty acids and inflammatory byproducts. And you could say, well, cows aren't good for you, but it depends on the cow, right? Because a nice grass-fed, grass-finished, I mean, like I... I, I have these ribeye steaks I ordered from Missouri and they're like grass-fed, grass-finished, bone-in, French cut, ribeye steaks. They taste amazing. You feel amazing the next day. And, you know, compare and contrast that to whatever, you know, uh, uh, McDonald's Big Mac from a CAFO food lot in America, it's a far different scenario. So part of a big part of it is the source.
0: Hey guys, it's Josh Peck, your professional interrupter of podcasts. Hey, want an ad? Okay, no problem. Robin Hood, Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees. So you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data, and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market, As you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest, Robinhood is giving listeners of Curious a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at curious.robinhood.com.
2: Have you
0: done any, have there been any sort of betrayals to the Ben Greenfield way over the last year or two where you were like, where you ate that Domino's or that McDonald's? Uh, Anything or some M&Ms? I've
1: I've painted myself into, uh, it's really not a painful corner. It's probably a good corner in that uh, I've studied the bio, you know, my master's degree is in uh, biomechanics and physiology, Mm. but a ton of the coursework was in human nutrition, pharmacology, microbiology, biochemistry. So once i've gained an understanding of what let's say like oxidized oils do to the body i simply can't eat them without thinking about my little cell membrane getting holes poked in it and and you know me losing the actual activity of my mitochondria and you know creating like chronic inflammatory response syndrome to that big mac that i used to freaking i used to have a big mac every day before tennis practice i'd go through mcdonald's in college and i get the big mac with the fries always a dr pepper cuz I, I i just didn't know you know the it tasted Trinity. good i thought well some people say it's unhealthy but you know i'm i'm about to exercise it's not a big deal here's the problem when when you look at at foods that can cause damage to your body or you, you could even say like like what foods should or should you not be eating you could look at sugar right and you could say, well Ben I, I want you to I'm gonna give you the choice. you could eat this this giant swirly uh, ball of cotton candy, you know the, 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 the size of a small child or you could have a big mac, fries, and a Coke. Well, the thing is, I know if I eat that cotton candy, that's glucose. I could technically go out and exercise that cotton candy away. I could hit the elliptical train or the rowing machine or have a very active day physically and somehow stabilize my blood glucose response to that cotton candy. Mm. But when I eat the Big Mac with the French fries, a big part of that is not the sugar. Yeah, there's some starch in the potatoes, the bun or whatever, but let's say you throw out the bun and you know, you just, you have a, you're just you gonna do like the, uh, what do they call it? If it fits your macros, right? You don't care about the food quality, but just the, the actual content, like the protein, nutrition. fat, carb content. Well, you're eating, let's say, the, this, this greasy piece of beef with oxidized vegetable oils because of the canola fat? oil that it was cooked in. that is exactly what your body is going to use to make cell membranes and to comprise the majority of your body's building blocks for the next month. So what this means is that you could burn away the sugar, but once you dig into the oils, like you can't have a cheat day and have it be just a cheat day it lasts for like 19 days you know these these oils in your system and so for me um not only do i pretty ruthlessly eliminate vegetables for those reasons right like i I think vegetable oils compared to like everybody vilifies sugar and fructose no vegetable oils are way worse for you than that Mm. so i I eliminate those and if i do cheat right because you know for me for me cheating is more the good stuff right i don't want to cheat on dog shit i don't want to cheat on stuff that's, i want to feel amazing the day after a cheat cheat day or cheat meal so i'm going to have a you know a bigger Cut of ribeye steak with some amazing sweet potato fries cooked in in a stable oil like avocado oil or extra virgin olive oil, and I'm gonna have an extra piece of dark chocolate or some some wonderful coconut avocado ice cream with a nice glass of organic red wine or or you know like a, a Moscow mule homemade with some mint and some fresh ginger. So I like to feel like a million bucks.
0: None of that pretzel that bread. Day. You know what the steakhouse when they have the pretzel bread with the butter? That's yeah, what even d- even does that, me in. It's you know,
1: bad. I'd rather have. A slice of my like wife's home fermented sourdough bread with some some raw honey and some grass fed butter on it. Right? That like, sounds good like too. Just, and maybe a <laughs> sprinkle of some nice clumpy like a like a cone of black salt or something like that. So so I'm kind of kind of a, a food snob when it comes to this stuff. But if I cheat, I want to cheat on the good stuff. Now that being said, I was recently reading a really interesting research study in which this guy uh, James, I think I think Nacarado might be his last name. He's got a new book out. I think it's called Super Fats or Super Fuels or something like that. Regardless, he has he has a couple of research studies in which he looked at what you could do to mitigate the damage of canola oil or vegetable oil if you were going to eat it. Because don't get me wrong, like I I love my like Whole Foods hot salad bar. Right? Like I love to go there and and get you know a nice Whole Foods rotisserie chicken with maybe some of their Brussels sprouts and their sweet potatoes. But if you look at the label. Granted, they're using uh, like a cold expeller pressed canola oil. So it's not as bad as, say, like, you know, the oils you're getting at McDonald's, but it's still nonetheless a, a, a potentially rancid or oxidized vegetable oil. Well, what this study showed is that there's two things that can actually uh, undo the damage that that canola oil will do. Two things. Number one is glycine, which you would find in bone broth bone marrow, organ meats, which is kind of cool because you actually can get bone broth at Whole Foods. Like you could have like a cup of bone broth with it's your so hot good. salad bar. Yeah, it's Tastes got the good. glycine in it. And then the other one is a uh, uh, spirulina. Spirulina, mm. which you could also find, you know, at Whole Foods or, or, or let's say, you were going to go out to fast food, and you want to undo, mitigate the damage as much as possible. You know, get yourself some like a, a, a glycine supplement from from the supplement store, and get yourself a little bit of spirulina, and you can at least kind of equip your body for for a bout of hedonistic vegetable oil consumption.
0: So, is the issue too in that we're so programmed from such a young age to think of cupcakes and sweets as a treat, as an, as a reward? And so I feel like it's all built into us at su- such a young age that, like, you work hard so that you can reward yourself with this poison.
1: Yeah, that's the problem. Is we use food as love, right? Mm. Like in parenting, we, we we reward our kids with food a lot of the time, or or yeah, we've got we've got our our our, our cupcakes or, or any anything that that you know rewards a child for a good job. You get candy when you go to I mean to freaking dentist. You know I've, I've seen that <laughs> right. before. It's, it's it's crazy. So. Um, I think that it's, it's multifactorial. That's part of it, that psychological component. Uh, part of it also is that I mentioned breast milk right? And how it's it's like highly ketotic and it's a very stable energy source and super nutrient rich. And then we eventually wean that baby off of breast milk and onto Cheerios and Gerber baby food, chock full of, you know, potatoes and starches. And then the kids menu at the restaurant is what? Like the chicken mac wings and and cheese. The sliders and mac and cheese yeah. and, uh, and, and the fries. mini pizzas and fries. And then a lot of times when you go to people's house for dinner, this happened to me just the other night, uh, you know, the adults eat their adult meal, right? Like, like their steak and their salad and, and maybe their weird foods, like maybe they have sardines or, or liver or, or Brussels sprouts or something like that. And the kids get their kid meal, right? Mm. The kids get, you know, oh, look, mommy made you macaroni and cheese. So you sit over here and eat your macaroni and cheese. Well, the adults eat their adult food. And so you grow up a generation that is not only kind of addicted to a lot of these carbohydrate, starchy foods and reliant upon glucose as a primary source of fuel, but also kind of have a taste for, for these less complex foods, lower in vitamins, lower in minerals that aren't doing their body any favors. And, and I, 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 again, have, have kind of painted myself into a corner with this too, because we raised our children without the kids menu. And without the separate dinner that the kids have when the adults are having their dinner. So, you know, Jessa and I, my wife, we we would we would basically mommy bird food to our kids. Like we, when we were having sardines or liver or avocado or broccoli or Brussels sprouts or any of these things that kids traditionally turn up their noses at, we would just chew it up and put it on their plates and develop their palate for these foods at a very early age. And if we ever had a scenario where they're like six years old and they didn't want to eat what they were eating, fine, but you go to bed hungry like this is what we have to eat that's this a is, hard line this to draw. is the option but now my kids are little foodies they they not only have a food podcast and take cooking classes but when we go to a restaurant and and the the waitress or the waiter or the server brings out the menu and hands in the kids menu they say can we have an adult menu and they don't want the kids' menu because, you know, that's, again, all it is, the sliders, the macaroni and cheese. So my kids are sitting there ordering filet mignon and the halibut and, and you know, the beef tartare. So all of a sudden, you know, I can't walk out of a restaurant, you know, with without just my kids <laughs> alone for like 100 bucks. Oh, so, my God. So yeah, I, can, I can think of worse issues than kids being addicted to, like, healthy grown-up adult food. But ultimately, I think that's a big part of it is we raise our kids in this context of – of them getting separate kind of unhealthy foods, they develop a palate for that. And then somehow later on in life, you have to you have to go on a diet and learn how to be healthy, or you have to say, hey, I'm going into ketosis. I'm going to do this ketogenic diet thing. When in reality, if you hadn't been ripped off a, Breast milk and healthy foods growing up, and and you know, spent ten years of your life in elementary school eating starches. Maybe you wouldn't be as addicted to glucose and carbohydrates as you are. Maybe you wouldn't have such an uphill battle once you decide you're going to eat more wild plants and extra virgin olive oil and seeds and nuts and all the good stuff.
0: I mean, I have a kid on the way that'll be here next week.
1: <laughs> and oh so wow!
0: I'm mm. I'm getting prepared. Okay, okay. I'm taking lessons. I, I can tell
1: you this. I'll tell you this okay, and, and and I don't know a lot about your your wife and your kid and your health history, and yeah, you know, there's of course the genetic component which you already alluded to. And, I used and so, to be
0: three hundred pounds. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. qualify
1: that. Oh, wow, yeah, okay. so okay. just saying I but, come I come from heavier people. yeah, okay, but a uh, painting with a broad brush mm. i have i've I've helped a lot of uh, my female clients with their childbirth and and helped a lot of parents feed their babies' healthy food. I can tell you the number one diet that I've seen work time and time again. For growing really healthy babies like high amounts of vitamin a and d and k for the teeth and the bones and the nervous system lots of fermented foods so they build like a, a really good probiotic rich gut um a, a lot of the fats like the dha and the oleic acid which are really good for the brain and for nervous system formation it's a diet called the Weston a price diet the Weston A. Price diet. And the women who have had follow this diet during their their childbearing months have have given birth to these these huge, like 10, 11 pound babies who already have like this wonderful head of hair oh, and amazing women. skin. I know, I know, it sounds painful. Jesus. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Dial oh, it back a little bit. My maybe, kids. Maybe eight pounds? Yeah, yeah, my kid's already like a pound over what it should be. Yeah. Sorry, Paige, I, I just yeah. spilled the beans. My wife's not proud of it. Uh, <laughs> and I and yeah. she's already like, am I gonna like, like give birth to a nine pound kid? Yeah,
1: no, you, you don't want, well, if you if you eat like a you know, if, you're, if you're drinking Coke and and eating a bunch of carbs and all that jazz during childbirth, you wind up you wind up having a child with a higher than normal risk for type two diabetes mm. and a child who actually already has developed a reliance upon glucose as their primary source of fuel. Like a crack baby. Yeah, exactly. Very similar to a crack baby, except this would be like a a sugar crack baby. Yeah. So the idea, though, is that when a mom follows this Weston A. Price diet or after the kid is born, and this is what we we did with our kids. Like they get a lot of the raw dairy and the fermented foods and the fish and the DHA and the healthy fats. These kids just develop wonderfully robust nervous systems and strong skeletons and ample symmetry and good jaw lines and beautiful hair. So there's a book called, uh, called Nourishing Traditions by Sally Fallon. And if there's like one diet, I'd say, I'll oh, go follow this diet. If you have a, a new little baby or expecting a baby, that would be the one.
0: And what what are the major food groups of like the the Weston A Price diet? Okay, Is it... so
1: so so it's like uh, uh, lots of of. Lard and ghee and grass-fed butter, mm. lots of really stable oils like avocado oil and macadamia nut oil and extra virgin olive oil. Lots of fermented foods like kimchi and sauerkraut and kefir and yogurts. Uh, lots of wild plants and vegetables, but but like you know, good organic vegetables like your your uh, your bok choy and your Swiss chard and your kale. Um, lots of really good minerals like excellent salts and mineral enriched water good, clean, pure water when you are going to drink water, traditional teas and coffees that are very tannic and, and, and rich in a lot of these what are called xeno compounds, like plant compounds that when you eat them, allow your body to become more resilient and healthy. So essentially everything that you would – oh, and, and for starches, right? Like for, for carbohydrates, sweet potatoes, yams, um, taro and purple potato, beet, carrot, parsnip like a lot of these these healthier foods and unlike the paleo diet grains and dairy are not forbidden they're just encouraged but prepared in a very ancestral way. So if you're gonna have bread, great, but have like a nice slow fermented sourdough bread. So the gluten is pre-digested and the glycemic index is lower. Or if you're gonna have dairy, have a good raw dairy where the probiotics are present and where it hasn't been homogenized or pasteurized. So the So the fats are still bound up to the protein. So all the proteins get absorbed properly. So it just eliminates a lot of like the autoimmune or allergy issues that kids grow up with, gives them a nice healthy stable lining of the gut. And I realized, you know, that this flies in the face of the advice I was giving to adults about like raw dairy and stuff like that. Cause yeah, you could gain weight if you do too many cheeses and milks and butters and things like that as you age. But man, for a growing child so, and, and for a mom, especially a, a mom who's breastfeeding, who needs enough calories and nutrients for breast milk, it's an amazing way to go.
0: It's funny too with kids. I think I like, I, I always say this is that like, if you're a picky adult. Your parents have failed you because they let you run riot for too long. But right. like to your point, it's I think it's a hard line. You know, you think about like sleep training when you have to whether you subscribe to it or not, like letting a kid cry it out a bit or mm-hmm. what have you. Like there are these tough moments where a kid might not be into uh, the kale, salmon dinner that you're having. And like, do you fold and say, all right, let me heat up a
1: pizza or say, well, then you're going to be hungry and I'll see you for breakfast. Exactly. I mean, a big part of this with kids, well, there's two things. Number one is you want a strong resilient, free-spirited kid who's going to grow up to make this world a better place, right? Like you don't, you don't want a weak sauce kid who's got all these, (laughs) you know, food allergies and, and who just, you know, crumbles at, at any type of physical or emotional stress. So raising a resilient child, when you look at, at a lot of like traditional, like hunter gatherer tribes, I mean, their kids are like outside barefoot, Hiking around, walking two miles a day to school. They take babies and they put them in like icy cold rivers in Iceland. They still have their babies nap outside in the streets in their strollers. They have this kind of like it takes a village mentality. So the neighbors are watching the kids. Everybody's keeping an eye on everybody. Um, you know, in in Sweden, there's a whole video about this on online where you can see all these Swedish school children. They they take them out for recess. They run around in the snow in their underwear, and and that's to build these healthy, resilient immune systems. My kids go to a cold plunge every day and our cold pool out in the forest in really? Washington State from a very early age. They've done cold showers, cold baths, cold soaks. So there's this idea of, of not raising a child in a bubble, but allowing a child to kind of kind of experience a lot of what are called hormetic stressors, right? like We know that things that would kill you or be bad for you in high amounts are actually good for you and create cellular resilience in both children and adults in small amounts. Cold is one example. Um, radiation, like UVA and UVA. UVB radiation from the sun, not putting a bunch of sunscreen on your kid and send them out to the beach with like that white face and the white lips and the white nose, but instead just letting them soak up. Don't let them burn, but letting them soak up good UVA and UVB radiation, which is fantastic for the body and enhances your own melanin production, your ability to be able to tan in response to the sun. Wild plant intake, right? Like wild plants have built-in cellular defense mechanisms, things like wild mint and nettle and and maybe some of the uglier forms of produce that you might find at the farmer's market, not like the big fluffy sweet stuff that we get at the grocery store. That has built-in cellular defense mechanisms that upon ingestion causes the body to produce its own endogenous antioxidants that wind up being Protective. Uh, Another example would be heat, right? Like we know from these Finnish studies that going to the sauna for four or five times a week for about twenty to thirty minutes actually increases your lifespan by four or five years, dumps your risk for type two diabetes and for Alzheimer's. And yeah, if you stay in the sauna all day, that would not be a good scenario. Like you, you lose all your minerals and you get dehydrated and you get Mm. heat stress or or heat shock. But in small amounts, it's very good for you. So number one. I think that to increase a child's cellular resilience, they need to be given heat and cold and sunlight and going outside barefoot and eating wild plants and and getting exposed to a lot of things in small amounts that are gonna increase their cellular resilience. And then on the other side, I think you need to rather than protect your child or have them grow up in a bubble or even use like corporate punishment, like spank them every time they do something that might hurt them, you instead educate your child about the consequences of the decisions that they're going to make in life, then let them make the decision and deal with the consequences. That is a style of parenting. There's, there's a book called Love and Logic that kind of gets into this. And the idea, uh, for example, would be you, you wanna raise a child who has a really healthy perspective on alcohol, right? My first experience with alcohol, because I was raised in a household where it was just like, no, you don't drink wine. You don't drink beer. That's adult food. You'll learn about that later on in life, You know, maybe in college or whatever. Well, one of my dad's friends gave him this nice bottle of scotch. So my first experience with alcohol was I was eyeing the scotch for like a week on my Pretty dad's bottle. desk. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go for it. And I just took it one night and I drank the whole bottle of scotch and, and I felt horrible. I, I did not have a good early introduction to alcohol. Later on in college, I would just drink my guts out because I grew up with that being forbidden fruit. Or, you know, another scenario would be like um, a, a, a smartphone use. So like a lot of parents will limit or cap smartphone use. And so children will grow up with this idea that smartphone is forbidden fruit. So once I do get a phone, once I do get a video game, OD once I do get an iTouch, I'm going to be on that thing all day long because I wasn't allowed to be on it or, or something something's bad for you. In our house, my kids can use the smartphone as much as they want. But what I've done is I've educated them that, hey, the Wi-Fi or the Bluetooth is not that great for your cells, your nervous system. If you hold it down your crotch, like a lot of kids do, it's not good for the little sperm cells you're making. So you might have babies when you grow up who might be a little bit messed up if you're holding the cell phone down by your crotch. Like I'm very straightforward with the kids. I tell them if you're, if you're using it at night, the blue light might disrupt your sleep and affect your performance in school the next day. So my kids, when they use my phone, they'll grab it, put it in airplane mode. They've got little blue light blocking glasses. If they're using it at night, they use that. They have little like anti-radiation pads for their laptop and I don't make them do any of these things. I just educate them about the consequences then let them make the decision. They can taste wine at the table. They can taste beer at the table. I guarantee my kids are never going to like steal a bottle of wine from Mm -hmm. our alcohol cupboard and go drink that in their bedroom so they can finally learn about alcohol. No, like, they can freely take take alcohol and drink that at the table they've been educated they know that it can damage the liver they know that alcohol especially processing ethanol you know for for their small developing livers and their digestive system, it's not going to do them any favors, but they know it's okay. You can can taste a little bit of wine. You can have some gluten. Have as as much freaking cupcakes as you want at your friend's birthday party, but understand the effect that that might have on your body. Then you just let them go out and make the decision. If they want to be the smartphone all day, eating gluten, drinking booze, smoking weed, whatever... Let them do that, but educate them about the consequences of their decisions and let them make the decision.
0: And at what age are they equipped to understand? Because I'm sure I would imagine at at a very young age, it's like they... Can't process that completely. You need to knock the cupcake you know out of their hand because they're going to well, eat unless eleven they're gonna and
1: throw die. up. Die unless they're unless they're going to die. Yeah, there's certain scenarios. I can't explain gluten to a two year old. Mm. I do know that that you know they're going to have a, a horribly unpleasant diaper when I open that to change it. Yes, and that there are books like Grain Brain, and I don't I don't I don't think gluten is is the villain that everyone paints it to be, but high concentrated doses of it, as we get in a lot of our commercially grown wheat products, it doesn't do the body. Any favors? So, yeah, if you have a two-year-old, you know, and and they're they're like, you know, ripping open a, a loaf of Wonder Bread to punish the whole thing, you know, s- you know, sitting cross-legged on your kitchen floor, take it and put it on the kitchen counter, and and you know, whatever, get give them a yeah. give give them a, a fruit roll-up or or you know uh, something. But the the idea is that there are still scenarios, even at that age, where you would let the child learn, like the hot stove. Like you can, you can, you can tell a child no, no, no all day long, and pull them away from the hot stove, or you could just let them freaking walk up to the stove, put their hand on it. Get burnt. They're never going to touch that stove again, mm. right? And and granted, I'm not I'm not endorsing child to be like if your kid's going to die or get some horrible third degree burn. I mean, be careful. But if they're just like you, find, you know, you hover over them, let them touch the stove. Boom. Oh, that hurt. You're going to cry for five minutes, but you learn an important lesson that encourages you not to touch it. And then you also have to set a good example. If I'm going to tell my kids that. Uh, looking at their screens at night could disrupt their circadian rhythm and affect their performance in school the next day. Therefore, they should wear those little blue light blocking glasses that I got for them and dad sitting at the kitchen table on my laptop at night and I'm not doing that that sends the wrong message. So you have to demonstrate that to your kids too. Like I'm gonna, you know, if I'm gonna tell my kids that like kettlebell swings are amazing, I'm gonna teach you kettlebell swings and you're gonna do 30 kettlebell swings every day before you go to school. And then they never see dad doing a workout or I'm, you know, out in the driveway or whatever doing kettlebell swings. You know they're they're, they're really not going to get that message. So you have to educate them on the consequences of their decision. Set them up to make these free thinking decisions on their own, so that they are independent free thinkers. But then also set that really good example for them. Like you know at the restaurant when they bring the bread out to the table, pretzel you, bread. You can yeah the pretzel bread oh, so you good. Can, you could ask for sourdough, or you could eat some of the bread, but maybe you've got you know some gluten digesting enzyme with you that you're going to take, or or you ask them to bring roasted vegetables aside instead of the the pasta or whatever. But you got to set the example.
0: And to your point about like the digestive enzymes and whatnot, because I think I'm neurotic about, you know, I find for me what works best is getting nutrients and what I need from whole foods and supplementation and whatnot. You know, I'll I'm always trying something like chaga in my coffee or, yeah. some, you know, something. And for better or for worse, after a couple of days, I don't know why, maybe it's psychosomatic, I tell myself that I've got indigestion from the friggin' pills that mm-hmm. I took or something, and I just feel like, ah, maybe it's not for me. So, like, for you, what's your ratio on nutrients that you get from supplements and then from whole foods? Mm-hmm.
1: Everything starts with... Returning to this idea of customization and eating according to your ancestry and some of those things that we were talking about, customization based on your unique scenario. So we live in an era where – what people would have paid tens of thousands of dollars to the Princeton Longevity Institute or, or Duke or the Cleveland Clinic or something like that 10 years ago, we can now do for pennies on the dollar in the comfort of our own homes in terms of blood testing, stool testing, urine testing. I mean, it's not that hard to go to a wholesale lab website like Direct Labs or Wellness FX or or Inside or any of these companies that just send lab kits to your home. You can test everything. You can look at, let's say – Let's take a really common supplement that people are encouraged to take, um, vitamin D, Mm. right? And the thing is, there's a sweet spot for vitamin D. Not enough vitamin D, and sure, you aren't going to be able to make hormones properly, and your cell membranes don't form properly, and you don't have enough to go around for testosterone formation or, or for healthy bones. But there's also a law of diminishing returns. You see increased risk for mortality once vitamin D exceeds about 80 in terms of, in terms of your internal levels of vitamin D, and so again, let's let's use your neighbor as an example. Let's just keep throwing your neighbor under the bus. That, you know, Please, they, they're on the they're on the ketogenic diet. Doesn't work for you, so they're taking. They 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 say, oh, my functional medicine doctor told me I should start taking 4,000 international units of vitamin D a day. Yeah. this is a new supplement. You should totally look into this. Well, you could go take 4,000 international units of vitamin D a day. Or you could go say, well, I think I should test my blood and see if this is something I actually need to be taking. Because frankly, I fall into this category, there is about 10% of the population who lack genetically the ability to be able to take vitamin D or or to take sunlight and convert that into vitamin D. That's a perfect example of someone who probably should be supplementing with vitamin D no matter how much time they spend in the sun but you don't know that unless you were to get a genetic test or unless you were to get a blood test and see, hey, my vitamin D is low, okay, it makes sense for me to take vitamin D. Uh, Another example would be... Let's say magnesium, right? You could get a blood test for for RBC magnesium levels. Maybe all that magnesium that everybody is taking to help them fall asleep and whatever it gives you horrible loose stool because your your magnesium levels are just fine, right? So, so you have to test and then customize according to you. And so, uh, there there are very few supplements I encourage people to take on a daily basis you Mm -hmm. must actually look at your specific risk factors, your specific blood levels, and then you customize accordingly. Most people do benefit from, well, let's just paint a picture of the average person living in a post-industrial westernized society. Yeah, what should they be taking? So most people benefit from some type of a good Multivitamin mineral complex, right? put out by a good company like Now Foods or Douglas Laboratory or Designs for Health or Thorne or any of these companies that are producing really good supplements. You're going to find the bargain bin of your local supplement store, not the Costco but, but that, multivitamin. No, not the Kirk Costco multivitamin. No. Matter of fact. So returning to vitamin D, there are simple ways you can figure out if, uh, if somebody who's making supplements knows their shit or not. You could look at vitamin D. We know that vitamin D increases your risk for arterial calcification and cardiovascular disease if it's present in very high amounts, such as would be if you already had a whole bunch and you were supplementing with it, or if you didn't have the two things in your body that allow you to actually absorb the vitamin D, which would be vitamin K and magnesium. So if you pick up your average, whatever, I don't don't want to shove anybody under the bus. So uh, uh, let's just say, and I don't remember if this is the case, but let's say the Kirkland brand multivitamin from Costco. Sure. They're not a sponsor of your podcast, are they? No, we don't actually have sponsors this week. (laughs) Okay, Good. Good. So we can just we, we we can crucify everybody on this show. There. Yeah, go so, go get them. Go get them. So and that 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 kind bar that you're eating, we we can go after the sugar in that next. It's so but much sugar, right? This is turning into like the orthorexic podcast. Just like, here's all the stuff you shouldn't eat. Please, <laughs> but, uh, it, I, I don't want to make it like I'm a total foodie. I love to eat. I love all sorts of good foods. Um, anyway, I'll go to Air One probably after this and and spend eighty dollars on a salad. So it's so expensive. Yeah. But is that
0: do do you have to reconcile that that to eat healthy and like to have steaks delivered and whatnot? It's expensive.
1: My 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 grocery budget is almost nothing because we we buy ingredients and we make foods ourselves. Like it's really simple and cheap. And we can we maybe we'll return to that. But I want to finish this thought on, on the multivitamin. So let's say the multivitamin has vitamin D. But you look at the label, there's no vitamin K, there's no magnesium. Well, whoever freaking made that multivitamin didn't know what they were doing. They they created an an incomplete multivitamin. So not all multivitamins are, are created equal. But I can tell you, most people following a typical westernized diet, they're not eating a huge ass salad full of sprouts and vegetables and dark leafy greens and stuff like that. Maybe they're an athlete. They're burning through so many calories that it would just be impossible to be Chewing like a cow vegetables and mineral-rich foods and, and all the things you'd have to eat to get all the multivitamins and the minerals that you're burning through with an athletic lifestyle. So, yeah, you take a multivitamin in that scenario. Another example of something that, that almost everybody would benefit because it, it's deficient across the board in a ton of people, surprisingly, is creatine. You're a big proponent, right? I'm a big proponent. You take five grams of creatine a day. You skip it on the days where you're eating a big slab of meat or whatever because meat is a good source of creatine. But if you're plant-based, vegan, vegetarian, you're an athlete, you're aging, and you're concerned about muscle loss as you age... Data shows thousands of studies and meta-analyses that creatine is safe and that's an effective supplement. You take about five grams a day of creatine. So I tell most people take a multivitamin, take some creatine. Um, Another one that I I really like is a ton of people based on the artificial light and the blue light and everything we get exposed to in a post-industrial era is some type of sleep support. Like usually you need something to shut down the body at night. Um, you know, Valium and Ambien, those work, but they take a sledgehammer to what's called your frontal cortex, meaning you get sleep, but it's not actual good quality deep right. sleep or REM sleep. You don't go through your sleep cycles properly. So you don't wake up and have the experience of having consolidated memory or healed the body or or you've gone through what's called glymphatic drainage, which is where your brain removes all the toxins. You don't get any of that when you take one of these like sledgehammer sleep drugs. But I think everybody benefits from say something like a CBD before bed, or there are things called called GABA precursors that you would find in supplements like Sleep Remedy or REM Reset or you know, passion flower, valerian, chamomile, any of these things that help people to sleep. So l
0: Theanine, l theanine
1: is good; it's fantastic mm. when you mix it with coffee. Takes some of the edge off of coffee, so you've got some type of sleep support multivitamin, uh, creatine, usually some type of greens powder or antioxidant mix is really good for inflammation too. So I encourage people, you know, do a green juice during the day or take some type of supplement that's like a greens powder or an antioxidant formulation. And those kind of cover a lot of the bases for Mm -hmm. a lot of people. And then everything else is customization, right? It's like you throw open my cupboard or my refrigerator and sure, you might see 20 different bottles or oils or tinctures or powders or whatever, But just because those are all there does not mean I take all of those every day in the same way that just because you'll also see uh, uh, ribeye steak and chia seeds and walnuts and kimchi and last night's leftovers and milk and eggs and all this. I'm not eating all that every day just because it's in my fridge. So when I'm traveling – I'm not eating a lot of freaking kimchi and sauerkraut when I'm, when I'm on a flight to England. So I'll grab my bottle of probiotics and I'll take my probiotics with me. Or if, if I am having a large meal that is, is very complex and has a lot of meats and fats and proteins and carbohydrates, I'll take a digestive enzyme before that meal. Maybe not before every meal, but before that meal. Uh, or if someone say, you know, like, like we were talking about histamine, right? Like, if you have a poor response to alcohol and you produce a lot of histamine in response to alcohol, well, maybe you have on hand a supplement that blocks histamine that you just use on those days where you're going to drink alcohol. So it comes down to customization and simply uh, taking a look at what your blood says you need to supplement with to fill in the holes, and then taking a look at where you're at with your lifestyle, where you're traveling, what you're up to, how much you're exercising, and then just taking specific supplements to fill in those needs. but. In the context of a whole foods diet something like that weston a price diet i was mentioning or any diet that's got a lot of wild plants vegetables a lot of, a lot of antioxidants a decent amount of proteins um you know good healthy fats omega-3s etc etc you don't have to supplement that much if you're eating a really good healthy diet like that Oh,
0: it's another advertisement for you, because this podcast is successful. Parachute, mmm, parachute. Yo, guys, baseball season is back, which means it's time for America's true national pastime. Dozing off while a game plays in the background, that's adorable. Make sure that when you hit your couch for the first pitch, you have everything you need, including comfortable throw pillows, a cozy quilt, and of course, you lucky cap, because with parachute, it's one, two, three strikes, and you're out like a light. I find that to be totally true. First of all, I'm a couch sleeper anyway. You know what? I get a nice little show on or a a wonderful sporting event, and it's I'm looking at maybe a 15-minute runway before snooze town. And when I got my parachute, little beautiful throws and cozy quilts and whatnot, I'm just... I got to tell you, because I like to I like to be cozy, okay? I like to get a little parachute quilt action. I like to, I do this thing. My wife hates it. I call it the oven, all right? I'm going to give you an insight into some intimate details between my wife and I. And what I do is I sort of wrap the, the blanket quilt throw type thing around my feet. So it gets, re- like I'm basically like a little Jewish egg roll in this beautiful, wonderful warmth. And I just, and my feet are getting all warm because it's surrounded by, I don't know. Listen, this is my truth and I feel comfortable to share it with you. More importantly, you can visit ParachuteHome.com slash curious for free shipping and returns on Parachute's premium quality, very comfortable home essentials. That's ParachuteHome.com slash curious. What's your do you ever think about what your mind's like? Like, what's what is your recall? Because I know you graduated high school 15.
1: Yeah. And you, But it's not because I was – it's because my parents homeschooled me and I just – I didn't have to sit in class learning at the speed of everyone else in the classroom or but you you ta- know, I, I could take two grades of math if I wanted to in, in one year. Sure.
0: But you you talk about like that you read three to four books a week and that you just – you have this sort of nomenclature mind and, and obviously, you know, I don't know if it applies to anything – you know, outside of the health and wellness and kind of
1: what you. You're, it, it doesn't. It I'm doesn't. I'm a complete idiot if you ask me about the blockchain or pop culture or really. Yeah, or or what movie should I go see? Do not ask me any of those questions because you'll. <laughs> I'll be like Rocky Three. <laughs> That's <laughs> a, a th- good one. Rocky Three is amazing. Stars, yeah, point. very yeah. good. Um, yeah, Star Wars.
0: But like, so what? Do you are you constantly aware of this recall and your ability in which to pull these things, or does it just come? Like, does your mind feel full?
1: no and this you know if you read arthur conan doyle when sherlock holmes meets watson sherlock holmes makes it a point to tell watson that he's going to try to forget his name because he doesn't want any facts cluttering up his head that get in the way of him being a good sleuther or a good detective you know being able to solve his crimes so in my case Uh, I, A, stick pretty close to the industry in which I operate, meaning all the, you know, I read a book a day, but it's all health, fitness, nutrition, all the research articles that I read, you know, it's biohacking, longevity, diet, supplements, et cetera. So I have a pretty narrow category that I play in when it comes to what it is that I'm learning, but then I also keep a clear head, meaning, and and my method is I have Evernote synced across my Kindle my iPhone and my computer, any thought that comes into my head that I need to remember to do later or something I want to look into or some new book I want to read, just slap it onto the Evernote document so I constantly have a clear head when I'm going through the day because I tend to ruminate. Like if, if, if someone tells me, hey, you need to read this book and look into this supplement and check out this this new, you know, fitness trend that I want you to learn more about and talk about in the podcast, all of a sudden, as soon as I'm juggling all that information up in my head, it's very hard for me to be a creator of content because that's one thing I, you know, if I'm sitting next to somebody on an airplane, that's what I do. I tell them I'm an author, mm. right, you know, even though I'm podcasting and blogging and, you know, doing, doing all these other things. Essentially I am a creator. Right? Yeah. And it's very difficult to create efficiently if you're constantly consuming and also you have all these thoughts jumbling up inside of your head. You want a relatively clear head. So I get things down on paper as quickly as I can. You know, next to my bed, I have the pilot pen with, with just a regular notepad so I don't have to look at screens when I wake up, because that's a that's a mistake. If you wake up, you have a thought running through there, you pick up your iPhone to write down the the thought, and then all of a sudden you're thinking about Facebook and Instagram and you got the light coming from your phone. Oh yeah. So it's always a pad and paper or pen and a pad of paper next to my bed at night, but I'm always writing things down. People will tell me something. I'll be like, stop, stop right there. I got to go write this down. So that allows me to not ruminate on things. As a matter of fact, speaking of genetics, this is actually related to the speed with which you process serotonin. Like if, if you tend to have lots of serotonin, this neurotransmitter sticking around in your synaptic clefts, what happens is you tend to be a person who ruminates on things. There's there's an actual genetic factor for this. And so that is the type of person who can be very concerned, a worrier, someone who stays up awake at night thinking about things, thoughts jumbling through their head, Jewish, difficulty sleeping, Jewish. I got yeah, that. Dude, yeah, you're exactly. So the diagnosing idea me. is if you have that, you write stuff down, you keep a clear head, you keep thoughts from jumbling around your head. And that that's that's really key for me because I love to learn i love to disseminate information and 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 present it in a context that's understandable for people but i myself am constantly writing things down keeping a clear head and then of course you know, delegating outsourcing Uh, anything, you know, mowing my lawn or or shopping on Amazon or going to the post office or going to the bank. I have people that do all those things for me because I've realized I I can feed my family better. I can achieve whatever my purpose is in the world better when I've got other people doing the things I'm not so good at or that I'd rather not be doing.
0: That's really interesting because it's like, it's almost, you know, when they talk about decision fatigue or how like President Obama yeah. only had three suits and like three shirts. Exactly.
1: Steve yeah. Jobs. Yeah. that That's a big part of it for me. I mean, let, let's take working out is a perfect scenario. Yeah. There are like these complex functional fitness routines that you can stand slack jawed in front of your iPhone because you bought the app with all the videos and you're there in the gym trying to figure out how to do this new fitness move that somebody's showing you and, and you have like this complex routine that you've downloaded or some PDF that you've bought or some magazine that has the brand new whatever new year new body article here's exactly what you need to be doing but the problem is that can be so complex and so many new exercises you got to learn and think about and you woke up and you only got five hours of sleep and you have 40 minutes at the gym and you don't want to bring your phone and the magazine and all your notes from the magazine and your little like exercise Size log to keep track of everything you just want to get in and freaking have no decision making fatigue and a clear head do your thing get it done get out so when i travel and i was in the gym this morning you know if, if, if i'm traveling i don't want to be thinking about like the kettlebell flow and the barbell complex and you know all this jazz i get in and i do like one side of the chest press, the machine chest press, you know, it's a complete bastardization of, of the functional fitness movement. It's not that functional, but you know what? It works for me when I've pulled myself out of my hotel room bed and trudged downstairs to the hotel gym, I'm, I'm going to do something. So super slow chest press, pull down. Shoulder press, seated row, leg press. Go through that three times. Boom, done. No decision making fatigue. Yeah, it's not perfect, but you don't want to let perfect be the enemy. Or of, of how's the phrase good. go? Perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah, however yeah. It goes. So, so ultimately, yes. A big part of complexity and having too many thoughts jumbling around your head and trying to tackle too many things at once, and not outsourcing, and not delegating, and not writing things down. Yeah, life just becomes incredibly complex. So. And you grew up in Idaho? Idaho, yeah. What part? Yeah, North Idaho, Lewiston. Do you know Luston. Moscow? Oh, dude, so... <laughs> I dated a girl from Moscow.
0: Did not, you? Not a lot of people like me up there.
1: I like Moscow. Okay. I met my wife in Moscow. I went to University of Idaho. My mom owns a bar in Moscow. That's really? Amazing. Yeah, it's like this pub. It's like a... It's like. It's like an Irish pub, right? They have like the, all the Irish people playing drums and penny whistles and all that stuff at, at night. It. And people are drinking Guinness and black and tans. And then during the day, it's just like a coffee shop. right? I love that. Uh, I, I I lived in Moscow for a few years. Yeah, I love it. Like the old Moscow pulmonary. As a matter of fact, there was a magazine. I forget which one it, it, it was, but it said Moscow is like the best city in America to raise a family. Really? Right yeah. I, I live only 90 minutes from Moscow. In yeah. Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Because my, my I'm, I'm a big believer in kind of like setting up roots. Like I have a lot of friends who are like the, the nomadic unschoolers who are traveling the world with their Amazon business, you know, whatever, importing sweaters from Alibaba and selling those on Amazon. They've got their five kids and they're on a plane every weekend. And it sounds like a sexy, exciting, adventurous lifestyle, but you've got no roots. You have the dark side of hypermobility with all the circadian rhythm and the Jet radiation and you know, all the stuff you get exposed to, you've got. Uh, you don't know your neighbors. You don't have a community. Mm. You don't, You aren't able to go out and volunteer at the local soup kitchen or have like some kind of a church or parish or or some group of people that you hang out with. Uh, I think all that stuff's important. I set up roots in Spokane not only because I I like like the quiet. You know, country life up there. I come down to L. A. and everybody's got like some entrepreneurial meetup or some dinner you're supposed to go to. It's like, how the frick am I supposed to get? a breakfast, lunch, and dinner planned out for me, and you know, I'm supposed to be with all these people all the time. I love to just sit at home in my underwear in Spokane. Nobody bugs me because there's not any like minded entrepreneurs there, right? I can just sit around and do my thing and not be bothered. Mm. Uh, which sounds very scroogish, but you know, I I, I no, travel I that's around. Right. I, I get out when I need to get out. But the. Um, the, the thing is, the family's there, grandma's there on both sides, grandma, grandpa, you've got your local roots, your community, your family, you could even make the argument returning to this ancestral diet piece that the longer that generation after generation lives in an area, the more those people's guts and biological systems become compatible to the foods and the plants and the bacteria and, you know, the, the honey from the honeybees and, and, you the the milk from the local cows, just everything in that local area. So I want to build up the greenfield Family to be that you know we live up in Washington. That's just that's where the greenfield. Kind of an old schooly way of thinking, but I think there's a lot of benefit to setting up roots somewhere. So yeah, I've set up roots in Spokane. It's very close to Moscow. That whole area, North Idaho, Eastern Washington. I I teach my kids to plant forage and they and they shoot the bows and they go out and they hike and they know how to identify rocks and trees and plants. And you know our our summer vacation this year is we've got the Spokane Survival School taking me and mom and our two. Boys, we we go out into the forest for three days, they train us, then they're just leaving us in the Spokane forest with a knife and a backpack for a week, and we just have to survive as a family and figure out how to how to make it out alive. Right. And and terrifying. But but my kids will grow up and they will know where do you get organ grape root to to dig up when your stomach hurts? And what are the most nutrient-dense plants? Like nettle and mint and you know and, and dandelion and, and plantain leaf and all these things that you can eat to sustain the body in times of stress. You know, should the zombie apocalypse ever happen, they'll be they'll they'll be they'll be set. But it's more than just the zombie apocalypse, right? It's like growing up and really truly knowing your local environment, having a body that's compatible with that local environment. Knowing your own I could have brought my family to Colorado where the Boulder Survival School is, which is like the really good one and and we could have gone down there to do our little survival adventure but it's kind of useless for us to know colorado flora and fauna when we're in freaking washington state like i want to be able to hunt and survive and forage and plant and and do everything up there so i am a real real big fan of like eating locally eating seasonally living locally having roots and uh and, and moscow is part of that for me my family's in moscow all the time because our family's there and so yeah i dig moscow
0: and what – being such a a disciplined person that it seems as though holds themselves to such a high standard, what's your tolerance for people that aren't that way and are – not living in a healthy way or let themselves go like does it irk you or do you just have to know that you're kind of an outlier
1: they're they're scum of the earth they need to die yeah, yeah they get they it out away. fuck them yeah. evolution survival of the fittest They'll, That's eventually, right. they'll eventually die good they'll, luck they'll have less children or maybe uglier children yes or less capable children eventually their babies will die off and hopped up and on we, that blue light and we will rule the world yeah them. Yeah, yeah yeah Yeah. tell them brown hair and brown eyes everybody a thousand years from now, is going to have brown hair and brown eyes, and yeah. the Weston A. Price diet repopulate now, um, the earth. Li- listen, w- look at it this way: when you look at, for example, the blue zones, these areas where people are living a disproportionately long period of time. Sure, they're eating wild plants and legumes to a certain extent, and, you know, drinking a nice glass of you know local wine at night, and there there are certain there are there are certain dietary or or movement factors or or decisions that they're making that are contributing to their their happiness or their longevity. But the big players are love, life, family, relationships. We all know about that 110-year-old grandma who smoked her whole life, but she was also part of the Texas Hold'em Club and with her friends every night and has this wonderful family around her. Ultimately, when it comes to to people and the, the value of their unique soul and their unique spirit uh, there there's so much benefit from accepting everyone based on who they are having a life that's full of love and laughter and family dinners and gratitude and relationships and empathy and 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 purpose and volunteering and help, all these things that we know really truly make people happy from an experiential standpoint that, sure, there there are people who are going to feel a lot better living the lives that they're living in terms of their body operating and their brain operating the way that it should if they're eating healthy and they're moving healthy. But uh, u- ultimately, when it really comes down to it, at the end of the day, all that really matters is love and the unique soul and the unique spirit that everybody has. So that, you know, that, that person down the street who is uh, let, let's, throw your neighbor under the bus again, your neighbor, your other neighbor, not the ketotic neighbor, but the other one Fair. who's eating corn chips and, and, you know, having two Cokes a day. <laughs> you know
0: who you and, are, Barry. Yeah. Barry. <laughs> yeah.
1: And Barry with your Twinkies <laughs> and your stupid Netflix all night when you're supposed to be exercising. Um, that, that that person is still a unique soul. There's still a unique spirit. There's, there's still something magical and wonderful about them. And you know, I accept everyone for who they are. And, and my role on this planet, like, like I think everybody should be able to clearly and succinctly name their purpose in life in just one single beautiful, elegant statement. Uh, you know, my purpose in life is to empower people to live a more adventurous, joyful, and fulfilling life to live a more adventurous, joyful, and fulfilling life. And I want to do so free of, of judgment and full of love. And so if, if I can go out and inspire people, great. But if they decide they are going to you know, sit at home, eat, eat their Twinkies, not exercise, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you can still – Come over to my house for dinner, hang out with me. You know, you're still an amazing person. Um, Maybe you're making weird choices about your diet or your exercise, but ultimately, um, I'm 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 pretty open minded when it comes to this stuff. And I hang out with a lot of people who who really even my wife. She doesn't take supplements. She doesn't. Biohack. She doesn't have like the special like sleeping masks and like mats under the bed that generate electricity that helps you to sleep. And you know her digestive enzymes. And, you know all that. Like she doesn't. She doesn't do any of that stuff. And it kind of keeps me grounded to a certain extent. Oh yeah. You know she's like the yin to my yang. Balance. But, but yeah, I mean you, you have to have that balance in life and understand. Yeah. Nobody's going to necessarily be as interested or as passionate about your specific subset of study as you are. But the most you can do is just take interesting things that you learn that you think are going to help other people and use that to inspire people or to educate them.
0: I think that's right. And it's fascinating you say that about my about your wife because my wife is the same way where I am so fascinated by the fact that I'll look at her sometimes and I'll think, you're just happy, huh? Yeah. I should be like,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm fairly yeah. Oh, content. My, my wife, will she'll, she'll freaking sit outside. So we live out in the forest in, in Washington. We're, we're like off grid out there, right? So, so right. we've got solar panels and we've got our goats and our chickens so and our quote vegetable you, garden. You said
0: you have a dumb home. <laughs> we have a dumb home. We
1: don't, uh, like, there's no Bluetooth. There's no, I've, I've even, like, I've got no Wi-Fi router. Like, the entire, like, the walls of all the homes, the, the home, it's it's hardwired with metal shielded Cat6 Ethernet cable. Yeah. Like, there's just, there's not any signals bouncing around. Uh, and, and, you know, my wife's job subsists of, you know, pulling weeds and hauling rocks and feeding the goats and taking care of the chickens and bringing the eggs in. But at the end of the day, she'll sit out there on that damn porch with a glass of wine for like two hours in the hammock. Not like reading a book, but just like sitting there staring out into the forest. And I'm like, dude, I that that's like a foreign con I can't turn my brain off for like 10 minutes to do that you know but but she's a totally different person and it keeps me grounded like like there are there are times when I'll go out there and just force myself to sit for 20 minutes and sure the glass of wine helps for sure in that scenario (laughs) Uh, but but yeah I mean it it, is it's it's very very interesting how differently people can be wired but yet We've been married for 14 years. We get along wonderfully. She's my best friend. She's my lover, and, and and she's a completely different person. As a matter of fact, she'd probably annoy the hell out of me if if we were like the CrossFitter couple, I, you know. Or we all know yeah, them. wearing the t shirts and the knee high neon too much compression comparing socks, pr's like the iron man couple trail and she's mix farts. for iron man and i'm training for mine or the biohacking couple and i don't want to hear about your those are my blue light blocking honey. <laughs> glasses honey take those off oh. that's my prescription
0: <laughs> um okay so last question that i ask everyone who comes on the pod Uh-oh. what and i feel like you kind of already said it but what are your one or two or three Ben Greenfield commandments truths that you've discovered that you'd want to impress upon other people?
1: Okay, commandments. Let's let's go ahead and go with this. Well, yeah, we we can, we can unpack uh, a couple of the things that we already addressed. Number one is to. Make your body resilient no matter who you are or what level you're starting off with by subjecting yourself to some of these things each day that are hormetic stressors that are bad for you in very large amounts but are going to be very good for you in small amounts. So, if you just start very simple, have some type of large intake of wild plant matter at some point during the day, whether it's a smoothie and like a big green smoothie in the morning or a big salad with nuts and seeds and all sorts of herbs and spices on it for lunch, or maybe just a side of of wonderful kale and beets and goat cheese or whatever at dinner, subject yourself to those kind of stressors. Take a cold shower, you know, once a day, or even start with just like once a week, just a quick two-minute cold shower. Get out in the sunlight without sunscreen on. Hop in the sauna a couple of times a week. Start to identify these things like heat Cold, sunlight, wild plant intake, and and just embracing almost like that ancestral primal connection to the planet that we've forgotten, but that makes us stronger people. So that's number one is subject yourself to these hormetic stressors, like live, live a life of hormesis. Number two would be choose to be stoic before you choose to be hedonistic. I think that a lot of these people who are out on their 38th ayahuasca retreat or doing their ketamine or MDMA or LSD trip or psilocybin ego dissolving you know journey should prior to embarking upon any of those type of adventures which do have their time and their place take the more stoic route of trying a three-day water fast or going camping for the weekend with just like a book and no phone and just shutting yourself off from the world, I guarantee if a lot of people were to to engage in a little bit more of this stoicism, they would discover themselves perhaps even far more readily and thoroughly in a a far more pleasant and, and rewarding scenario compared to go into Burning Man and, and taking all your drugs so you can somehow turn your life around, right? Which is, a it, it can, the hedonistic approach can work. Like I've, I've done ayahuasca and DMT and ketamine and LSD trips and psilocybin trips till the cows come home, but I know that I get far more out of the stoic approach first, oh. right? Like out of waking up in the morning, being fasted and going on a hike and just putting one foot in front of the other and letting my mind wander there Rather than, you know, say, you know, being in a New York City lofts taking, you know, ayahuasca and, and smoking DMT. Some creepy so, shaman. So yes, yes. Sub, subject yourself to hormesis, those creepy New York shamans, damn it. <laughs> I'm telling really you. not really shamans. You're not really from
0: Peru. No, they're not.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you've got uh, to engage in hormesis, to embrace stoicism over hedonism. And then finally, I'm really, really serious, so I'm going to say this again. Know your why. The Japanese call it ikigai, like your purpose. Why do you get out of bed in the morning? What is it that drives you in life? What is it when when the emails are flying out from the inbox of your computer and and you're tired and you want to go home or you want to get up get up early and, and move and and you want to read the book and turn off the TV like what is it that's actually going to inspire you to do that What's your purpose in life What's the unique skill set that you were born with Like I mentioned, mine is to live a more adventurous, joyful, and fulfilling life. And I don't I don't know if you have one, Josh, that, that you like to tell people, but you know, there, there's there, there are ways that you can determine your purpose. There's actually a really good book by Masten Kip. It's called. It's a. It's a newer book. I had him on my podcast recently. It's called something like. Um, uh, claim your power, claim your purpose, something like that. But it's like forty days, and and it walks you through each day. Remembering what what was it that you liked to do when you were a little kid? What is it that brings a smile to your face? What is it that you you can do it all day long? You don't even think about eating. Like stuff just flows. Right? What puts you into the zone? And you begin to to identify those things that not only did you enjoy to do when you were a kid, but that bring you a lot of purpose and passion and meaning in life. And then you develop that into a single sentence. Like maybe you like. Liked to, to paint when you were a child and you also love to laugh. You love to make people laugh and, and you really like to, to, to be out there. You were always extroverted, kind of kind of out on stage. So maybe your purpose is you want to create amazing art that's going to inspire, entertain, and bring joy to people's hearts. Right? And all of a sudden, boom, that's what you're going to do with your life. And you can use that as a filter for all the decisions that you're going to make and all your hell yeses and your hell knows are fed through that filter. So embrace hormesis, choose stoicism over hedonism, or at least prioritize stoicism over hedonism, and know backwards and forwards your unique purpose in life. Ben Greenfield,
0: mic drop. Beautiful. Thank you, man, for doing Thanks, man. this. this Thanks was for having me such on. a pleasure. Thank you. That was it, that was Ben, Benjamin, Benny boy. Ben, thank you for doing that, that was great. Um, guys, have a great rest of your week. I'm impressed and proud of all of you. I'm not joking around here, sometimes you need to hear that shit. And I'll be the, Uncle Josh will be the one to reinforce all the wonderful things you're doing in your life. Because could you be doing better? Yeah, sure, who couldn't be? But you know what? You're also doing pretty damn awesome. So I think You should treat yourself. And I don't know how that looks for you. You know what I'm saying? Maybe if you just listen to the Ben Greenfield pod, maybe uh, you don't treat yourself with that cupcake. Maybe you treat yourself to a wonderful uh, cold plunge sauna day with a little red light therapy after. I don't know. You're probably going to go for the cupcake. That's what I would do. It's hard to break old habits. But slowly but surely, through my podcast, we'll do it. Anyway, guys... Have a great week. Love you. Thank you for listening. Okay, bye.